Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. I'm very excited about our limelight competition. Soon I'll be interviewing one of you for the podcast and getting you to share your shelves with me. Huge, huge thanks to everyone who has entered. It is a brilliant way to support me and the Your Book team. And I know how much you love books. I can't wait to record with our winner. If you haven't entered yet, don't worry, there is still plenty of time. Just pre-order my new novel, Limelight, which is out on the 1st of June, in hardback from bookshop.org, and you'll automatically be entered into a prize draw to be our guest. Limelight is a story of sisterhood, sexuality and self-esteem. It's about Frankie, who finds herself in the throes of disaster when her secret online life is exposed. Can she find a way through the chaos and bring her family back together? At the time of recording, there are still a couple of tickets left for my event with Jenny Jackson at Mr B's Emporium in Bath on Thursday the 21st of April. Jenny's book Pineapple Street is one of my 2023 faves. Imagine Catherine Heine wrote an episode of Succession and you're there. Also, there are plenty of limelight events that are about to be announced and I want you listeners to be the very first to hear that I'm going to be at the Fort Road Hotel in Margate with Dolly Alderton on the 1st of June. Tickets will be on sale very soon via the Margate Bookshop and you can find out more about that by following them on Instagram. Tickets are now on sale for my Manchester event at my new favourite indie, the House of Books and Friends. That is on June the 12th and information is also on their Instagram and I'll be sharing it on mine at the Daisy B. More festival dates are coming soon. I'll also be announcing details and news about courses and workshops I've got coming up at creativeconfidenceclinic.substack.com. Now to this week's guest, global superstar author Emily Henry. I'm one of millions of M. Hen fans. Her books just make me so happy. We talked about the art of writing characters to fall in love with, our all-time writer and character crushes, the joy of being an addicted lifelong reader, as well as taking some guesses about our fictional favourites and their rising signs. Enjoy. Emily, the first thing I wanted to ask you is, when I'm reading you, I just feel so happy and I'm so moved and gripped and immersed in this gorgeous world. And there's so much going on. And obviously, it's not, you know, there are me- there's a lot of emotional texture and I feel many things. But the joy I feel and that immersion I feel is such a precious thing. And I would love to hear about the first books and stories you read where you really noticed that joy. Ooh, that is such a good question because... <laughs> I feel like in so many ways, when I think about the formative reading of my years, it was more like reading things that felt really intense to me, not necessarily joyful. Um, You know, just things that made you want to keep turning the pages. Like oftentimes that's not necessarily the very happy, joyful books. It's like something's going very wrong and you need to understand how it's going to work out. But I would say as far as joy specifically, my parents read us the Chronicles of Narnia series when we were kids. And, you know, again, there's still sort of high stakes in that for a children's series. But I think the magic of that, you know, just like this beautiful, fantastical world was something that I really wanted to be real so badly. And 
the reading experience, so much of it was about going to this like place, you know, and I think setting has, you know, remained really, really, really important to my writing. And I now am wondering for the very first time if that is because so much of my um, very first like memories of reading were just being like in Narnia. I think a lot about that at the very beginning and that feeling of the hush and the snow and the quietness and when it is just Lucy and Mr. Tumnus. And to be honest, that's kind of the book I want to read and what I'm always trying to get back to. And it's so messy and dramatic. And when they're all there and there are these battles and I'm like, yeah, I kind of miss that the first few chapters. Just like having tea with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Like (laughs) that's ultimately how I want my life to look. And I think kind of the feeling that I'm chasing in my writing too is just creating this like intense coziness. Which I feel and I love, it's that magical thing of, you know, going on vacation when you can't go on vacation, which I think we need always, but we have never needed it more badly. And I love that. But I'd love to hear a bit more about the, maybe the non-joyful books, those gripping page turners that you discovered first that really ignited a passion and a yeah. curiosity well I like. think so so Narnia I think is what made me probably a reader it was it was that just like my parents loved the series and reading it to us as kids it was like you know reading is cool <laughs> um but when I was just a little bit older when I was just like reading on my own finally I remember reading um Lois Lowry's The Giver and I was probably like eight years old or something and it was the first time that I felt like a book changed me, like it changed how I saw the world and it, and it made me think about something that I had never thought about before. And I think that was when I really understood, you know, the power of books beyond just like, this is fun. Like it really felt like, wow, that's like magic that I read this book and I'm a little bit different now. And I've thought of something that I never had thought of before. And that I think is really when I became obsessed with books was that and obsessed with the concept of writing too, because I thought it was just such a beautiful idea that you could change people just by telling a story. That's extraordinary, isn't it? I think to be taken to another place in your imagination or a physical place and being transported in that way, that's one thing, but to be emotionally transported and altered, that is a it's a kind of ineffable magic and I've still not got over that. Yeah. And I think that's like how story people are in general. Like it's interesting and weird to me how there are people who just don't really <laughs> care about story or don't really care about fiction. But I think people who love fiction, it's that feeling that you're tapping into this ultimate truth via something that is not true. It's like you're you're listening to or reading a lie or even telling yourself a lie, but you're learning something true through it. And I think that feels, again, like it feels like magic. It's like, how is this possible that this didn't really happen? These people aren't really real. And still I'm learning something about the world or, you know, finding finding some piece of ultimate truth. I was trying to remember whether Lois Lowry and I, Definitely, I remember, I think I have read The Giver, and I can't quite remember it. Did she write the Anastasia books, or was that a different Lois? Those being sort of in the school library, and then being thrilling, because they were so, you know, Anastasia was living in New York, I think in Manhattan, and, you know, when you're, you know, for little British girls, that seems sort of so exotic, and in some ways maybe as exciting as Narnia, like we sort of knew Narnia, because we're like, well... Uh, our grandparents have wardrobes like that and it snows a lot um but yeah that sort of excitement I think about being a kid and seeing worlds that are totally new but also worlds you sort of recognize and yearn for those like adult details that can be quite yeah changing also the magic of a real place there is something about that too because it feels within your grasp and I, I mean I think I think New York for for a kid who was growing up in Uh, Kentucky and Ohio, New York also felt very exotic to me. And I remember, I don't know if you ever read that book that was like from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Franken. I'm getting the title wrong, but it's like, you know, two kids who for one reason or another are like secretly living in the Met Museum, I believe. They're like, yeah. And that was like a formative thing to me where it was like the idea of 
secretly living in a museum, like, you know, I don't know, just really captured my imagination and maybe is partly why I really love museums. And another thing I adore about your books is there's always a fantastic bookshop cameo. I think in there's bookshops are so celebrated and they play such a special place in that narrative. And I was wondering whether if you could secretly live in a bookshop. Oh, yeah. What would you pick? Or is that an impossible question? Oh, that is such a... I mean, I think... I mean, bookshops, they do feel like magic in real life, too. You know, especially the the little independent ones that you just, like, stumble on. But I also feel like, again, it's like the thing of, in fiction, you take kind of that wonder and joy that you have when you're young and, and things are new. And so everything feels like a little bit more magical and saturated. And it's like you try and recreate that because as an adult, I think it's easy to walk into a bookshop and just be like, I'm here to buy books. <laughs> and that's great. But it's like, as a kid, you could just spend all day at a bookshop, especially if there's a cafe connected or next door. So I don't know. It's like, I, I'm definitely one of those people who went back when I still use Pinterest would always be pinning all of the bookstores that I would like to go to someday. But I haven't done that much international travel. So most of the bookshops that I'm familiar with are just like my local indies, you know. You know, which is great. I was so moved and delighted that these indies found a way to to be in touch with us and to sell us books and to recommend us books when they were like, you know, yeah. physically we couldn't be there, but we could, you know, it was in the way that books transport us, bookshops transported us to them also. Yeah, that was really, really special because it was a reminder that like the indie bookshop is is more of like a community. It's like, it's very community based. And um, I mean, I love, I love a big Barnes and Noble or Waterstones or what have you too. Like it's any bookshop is a good bookshop, but mm. that was really something special to be like reminded that you're all part of the same community and trying to find ways to get through this very hard time. I think so many of my friends who are writers, um, just like me, we all adored book lovers and I think felt so seen and that amazing relationship between agent and author, which is just on point um and very quickly I wanted to say as well that um my friend Cheska Major who's a fantastic writer has a book coming out don't know when it's coming out in the US and the UK it comes out in May and it's called Maybe Next Time and it's a kind of Groundhog Day high concept romance and it's really funny and really great and it stars a literary agent and I felt was, I kept having to message her saying I feel seen and I don't like it <laughs> yes. um but I was wondering about any books you love that are about writing or about the book world. Let me think about this because there have been a lot, you know, since Book Lovers and since Beach Read. But it's kind of funny because I'm not sure that I actually gravitate that much toward reading about that world. It's just so much easier to write it because you know it, you know, like you know it forwards and backwards and you also know all of your particular fears and writing book lovers specifically was really fun to to write like the really great agent and then the author who's just so neurotic but like trying not to be neurotic demanding trying not to be demanding like just you know feels like alternately like I must be your least favorite client and then like oh, close um, friends it's as though like no worries if not is written and etched into your soul yes. like a tombstone or something yes very just like a, a damning portrait of an author <laughs> um and the author is me I'm looking so when you see me you know looking behind you Daisy it's because I'm trying to like look onto my shelves and see what the book-centric books that I love are. There's one called The Roughest Draft by Emily Wibberly and Austin Siegman Broca that is like, you know, they're a married co-writing couple and they wrote about a, a two co-writers who are sort of in love with each other but, you know, haven't really gotten it together. And that was... I say really fun, but it's really angsty fun. <laughs> like, it, you know, it's not a romp. It's definitely like two people trying to work out their shit. Um, but that was a really, a really nice one. Uh, let me think what else. There's just been so many. There was um, Jasmine Guillory just did part, as part of that kind of like Disney adult rom-com um, series she did by the book, which was kind of a Beauty and the Beast retelling. That, that was really fun, like not angsty fun, just like nice, fluffy 
beautiful fun. Gorgeous. And of course, Belle is the ultimate book lover. Yes. And everyone wants the ladder. Yes, exactly. We all want the ladder. We're living for that ladder. I'm going to have to like cut a hole in my ceiling so that I can have a high enough ladder to justify the library I want. And maybe that's a good one to, to reference too. Not, not as a book, but as a film. Like again, like it's just that feeling of wonder that you have as a kid at the idea of like having all of those books at your fingertips. Because when we were talking about bookstores as well, I was thinking, and I'm aware I'm really lucky and really spoiled. Um, I'm at a point in my life where I can go into a bookshop, see a book I like and buy it with fairly minute. I mean, that's the luckiest, luckiest thing. Um, But yet those times when that was kind of, a rare treat yeah. and having in the US we have like here and I think that you still get book tokens where it's like a, a gift voucher but it's for any bookshop it's not specific no I did not know that existed and that's gutting to me that the US does not have that oh they should that'd be amazing because I guess um I mean I think they're definitely less fashionable I think here it has been much more like here is a voucher for this particular store. But I do think book tokens are alive and well. And you always get book tokens from someone for Christmas. And that really precious, like, how how do I choose my book? And that being a very serious, you know, you take your time. Yeah. Or take as much time as your parents, your patient parents are willing to allow you to have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, so there are a couple things that come to mind. The first is I really was like a library kid. And my family, you know, were big library users. So I remember the first time that I like went to a library with the ability to read. Like I'm sure I had been to a library with my family before that. But the first time I went, like, I think it was like, you know, first or second grade or something. And it was like a school field trip where it was basically like, we're teaching you, we're like getting you all library cards and teaching you how to use the library, essentially. And at that time, at least, I don't think there was like a limit on how many books you could check out. Or if it if there were, it was high enough that my little brain could not comprehend getting that many books. And that boggled my mind because I had, you know, become a voracious reader once I finally <laughs> learned to read. And the idea that you could go to this place and just get as many books as you wanted essentially was like mind blowing and like the most magical thing I had ever heard I couldn't believe it because oh, kind of a little voice in your head going like what's the catch yeah it really blew my mind and honestly like living in America in 2023 I can't honestly believe that we still have libraries because there's so much stuff that we've like cut funding for you know we don't really have a, a medical system that takes care of everyone like it's it's not a given at all that we would have libraries and I'm so grateful that we do and a part of me lives in terror that I'm like eventually there's not going to be libraries and I just remember like that you know we didn't have money to go buy books especially with how quickly I read them so that was that really that was my Narnia it's like you can go to this place and you don't have to have money to get knowledge to get stories like to use your imagination like it's free like (laughs) that was so important and I don't know that I would even be writing today if libraries hadn't been a thing because that was the only way that I was able to read as much as I wanted to at the time and you know like I could have just found some other hobby that was cheaper so that was a big one but there was one exception for when I was able to get books and what happened with that was I started reading a series that was coming out in real time which was the Animorphs series by Catherine Applegate um it was like a middle grade uh sci-fi action adventure kind of story series and I was reading them you know like I think the first so many were out already but I read all of them and then they were still coming out and so we like got my parents took me to Walden Books in the like local mall and they put me on like a call list where it was like when this book comes out we call everyone who's on the list when the next one's out and you can like come and pick up your copy and so that kind of became like my I don't know if it was like once a year or a couple times a year she came out with a new book, but it was like, those were the books that my parents would buy for me. It was like this series and I would go as soon as, you know, the book came out and, and get it and read it 
in <laughs> one day, as you always do when you've really waited for a book for a long time. So that, you know, that was kind of the exception where it was like, these are coming out now. If I go to the library, I'm going to be on hold forever. And that felt really like that was my special treat. And like also my parents didn't bat an eye about it. And it's, it's kind of interesting looking back and thinking like we didn't have a ton of money. They knew how quickly I was going to read those books, but they were such big book lovers that they understood that like, you know, oh, of course we have to go get the new book in the series that's like your favorite series. I love that so much that it was such a significant event. And, you know, obviously something that's happening once or twice a year so not all the time but it was a serious like you know going to the bookstore being the the event itself and I can imagine like, did you sort of just think I've just got to read this in one sitting I cannot stop this is what I'm going to be doing for the next day or did you sort of try to you know maybe like I'll read half today and I'll save half and just uh, I don't remember but I think there's this I, I think I probably did not pace it out and you know now I'm definitely that person who won't start a book because I'm so afraid of being done with it. Like it will just sit and wait until I kind of have lost the intense longing and then I'll read it and it'll be, it'll be amazing. But like, I really think of, there's a, there's a kind of reading experience that I always describe as reading a book like it's a curse. <laughs> and it's like, it can be a book that's really happy and joyful, but it also can be a book that's really intense and angsty. And I think like, like normal people is a book that I read like it was a curse. It was like, oh, I have to finish this. It's like doing so much to my emotions, making me feel so much. And I both need to know what happens. And I almost like need to get this book out of my system because I feel it so much. And it's like taking up all this mental real estate. And so to me, that's sort of like the best and most intimidating re reading experiences when you find a book that like it's gripping you so much. You're like, I know I won't be able to concentrate. I know I won't be able to be present in conversations. I know all I'm going to be thinking about is this book until I finish reading it. And for a few hours after while I lie there feeling extremely empty. So um, I'm sh I have to assume that I was doing that already at that point. And it also is the thing where when you're reading a series as a kid, it's like you finish one. And if the series is already out, you know, you just go and get the next one immediately and it's like I have full vacations worth you know worth of memories from childhood where it's like my family is like doing all these other things and I'm just reading a book and then starting the next one in the series. I've definitely talked about this on the podcast before but I discovered the Babysitter's Club books in library and I just remember see like seeing them all on the shelf and there were so many and it felt like I, well, it's like when people talk about drugs and seeing yes. a big fat pile of drugs and be like, yes. oh, there's, there's like for the first time, I feel like I could sate myself. Yeah. I can let myself be absorbed. I've got a long time before I'm going to run out. Yes. Um, but I thought of that. I read A Little Life for the very first mm. time last summer. And I was terrified of that book. And all anyone ever said was like, oh, it's just you know, it will break you. It's right. so dark. It's so awful. Like, you know, it's the best book I've ever read, but I had to take three weeks off from life right. to recover. I was like, hmm, yeah, no, thank you. I'm not really, Yeah, I don't think I'm quite ready. Like we're in the middle of, of a global it. pandemic, like maybe, maybe in a few years. <laughs> but then my friend Becky said, that this is my favorite book. And she knew I love books. And she was like, she was like, look, take my copy, borrow it. You must read it. You must. And it, reprimanded me on a shelf yeah. for many months and I'd pass it and I'd feel guilty and I'd pass it and I'd feel guilty and then she mentioned it a few months later I was like okay here I go and I read it like it was a curse and now I know what that is thank yes. you and I just sort of staggered out of it and I I could not have loved it more or been more moved by it and I'm still in it in oh. some ways and I'm so happy and grateful that I did read it and it changed me but yeah it's really good to have a a frame of reference and a, a phrase to describe that feeling of going in and readying yourself and yeah. almost being thrown out of the book at the other end yeah. in a good way yeah I mean that is such a, a jarring intense feeling when you're so immersed in it and then you're like now what and and you can't pick up another book for at least a full day afterward, even if you're like, okay, it's the middle of the day, I've got plenty of reading time. It's like, no, you're not going to absorb anything else right now. You're just like a wrung out sponge and you need some time before you take anything else in. 
But, you know, when you're talking about the, the babysitter's club and just seeing all of those spines and knowing, like, if I love this, I will have, like, my next four months sorted. Like, that is such a good feeling. And I think as an adult, it's so much rarer, it feels like. Maybe we're just more opinionated and have our preferences sort of settled. But it's so much rarer to find something, like an author who you hadn't read before, and then you read them and you're like, oh my God, yes, jackpot. They have this backlist that I haven't, you know, read yet. And now again, it's like I've got the next like week or two sorted at least. And the most recent time I had that happen, I had never read a Vari McFarlane book. Oh, I love it so much. Yes, me too now. But it was like I, I read I, the UK title and the US title are slightly different. So one of them's just last night and one of them's last night. But that book, a couple years ago, I read that book and read it in one sitting, loved it so much. And it did throw me out on the other side, but I was like, this is great because she has a backlist I haven't read. And so I, <laughs> you know, just got my Kindle and downloaded every single book from her backlist and I read them back to back. And so now it's the kind of thing where when I recommend one of her books, it's like, I cannot tell you what happened or who the characters were because I read her books back to back to back, I can just tell you I know it probably made me cry and it definitely made me laugh aloud. And that is very rare for me as a reader. So that was like such a rush. But then I got to the end of her backlist and it was like, now I have to wait a year for the next one. No, like she could she could be writing a book a week. Come yeah, on, Vari. I know. Right. I know. If I could pay her to, I would. And I think, you know, like your books as well, I remember the feeling so much more than the, and what I remember and what it's the it's the cast of characters I think uh Marion Keys is so brilliant at this as well and you feel as though if you wanted to you could disappear behind the words and go into another room and there'd be realms of other novels and every other character is living their own novel and you can imagine it in your head and you know what everyone's drinking and you know what you know what sheets they they want to have on their bed and what's on their bedside table and you know like what an emergency snack is in their bag and and they don't even need to say it explicitly but you can just feel it so vividly yeah I mean that's one of the amazing things about being a writer too in um like the social media age is I don't know if you have this or not but sometimes I get tagged in you know re readers make like the aesthetics and and what have you but I've had some readers who've made like fake Instagrams for the characters and it's really incredible to see them writing captions as these characters and to to think this person I've never met really understands these characters and is like making jokes in their voice and I don't know it it's so it's so bizarre and amazing when you feel like the thing that you've made suddenly like has a life and is a person and and they can just kind of walk around and you know and like in the writing process I don't know about you but that's what I'm like chasing is that moment where suddenly the character is clear enough to me that I no longer have to make a lot of decisions it feels like well obviously this is what they would do but it's like you're chasing that and sometimes it doesn't even really click until like the last draft hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We'll be back with Emily soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Reach for the Stars by Michael Cragg. This has all of my favourite elements of the book. 
It's an oral history starring the Spice Girls and Steps and S Club 7. It's a love letter and an investigation. It's a book about fame and it is a vivid, detailed and thoughtful exploration of a brief, bright era before the way we listen to music changed completely. It's a brilliant piece of journalism and while it is a glorious feast for anyone who wants to feel nostalgic about the 90s and noughties, it is also a very smart, generous, kind exploration of how music works, how fandom works and what makes a star. I honestly didn't want it to end. I'm quite gutted that I finished it. Reach for the Stars by Michael Craig is published by Bonnier and out now. Now back to Emily. An interview that I read with you, but it's to do with you working things out in drafts and wanting to write as you read and not planning too much because you want to be as surprised and excited as you would if you read. And I felt so delighted and relieved to see that because that's kind of how I write too Um, and I've just been teaching a writing course and it's been very very centered around like be a lazy author let your characters do all the work for you let them run around let them take stuff and you are just kind of sometimes sitting or I'm sitting down and listening and trying to hear and it's like come on come on just tell me what you want to do and crack on with it. Yeah. And, it, you know, a lot of times you're just forcing them to do something that they don't want to do and wouldn't do until you really get, you know, until you really get the character and when you understand what's driving them. I mean, yeah, it's like the the dream experience when the characters arrive fully formed, but that's not like the norm for me by any means. I was thinking about that and how much I love your characters who are really strong characters, but also I don't know anyone who doesn't see a bit of themselves in them and the the genius of that I suppose the sort of knowing a character who who is unique and yet universal yeah well I I mean I remember in a poetry class that I took in college with the professor teaching us that the specific is universal and the more vague that you make something you know the less connected to it people are going to feel it's like if you're trying to write love poems and you're talking about love and and hearts and and kisses it's like that's so general that you would think most people would care or connect but that's not really how it works it's like you need something really really specific that makes you know even if it's not an exact experience you've had it feels like an experience you could have had I always think of Caroline Duffy and her I give you an onion which is so great because it's such a shock like there is I don't think there are any other onions in love poetry yeah I mean and yeah but that's the thing it's like the more specific you get the more that a person's going to feel like they're kind of like in on a secret you know and I think I rely a lot on backstory and that's like another thing that a lot of writers I think shy away from because because a lot of times it's not necessary but the point for me is like I'm always writing an emotional arc for a character that really relies on their backstory. And that backstory, even if it doesn't all make it to the page, needs to be very detailed. Like, the, and with the right details, the details to make something feel lived in. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's like just kind of a, a overall writing lesson for anybody who's like trying to make a story that readers are going to connect with. It's like you have to get to this place of intimacy with your characters and let the reader in on that and that you know requires finding like a very specific hook into them I love that and I'm the say I tend to if I'm really stuck I can write backstory where I can't move it forward and write plot and sometimes yeah. it comes straight out again but I'm glad that I know are there any books with that in mind where you'd love to read the prequel if you could sort of commission oh, oh my someone gosh. to write the backstory for you. <laughs> Honestly, the first thing that came to mind, this is not even a novel, but I was re-watching all the Star Wars movies <laughs> during the pandemic and just thinking again about how like ripe for a pre for a prequel the original trilogy was and then feeling, you know, not so thrilled with prequels that we got but I think anything with a really strong villain is something I want a prequel for because it's like for the job of a prequel that's a villain origin story I think is humanizing that villain and so 
getting you to be on their side. It's like getting you to understand why they're making the decisions they're making because someone who's just bad for the sake of being bad isn't an interesting villain. Or even someone who's just power hungry isn't really an interesting villain. It's like, why are they power hungry? It's so much more interesting if they believe that they can fix something that's broken. Um, so anytime there's like a really compelling villain, which I think is more often, you know, in like fantasy, like I think about like the Darkling and... Um, the Shadow and Bone series by Lee Bardugo. Just like anytime there's a compelling villain, it's like, I want to go back and see the full way that this person developed. And honestly, I think that's why also I wrote Book Lovers a little bit because it's like every time we're watching something or reading something like The Devil Wears Prada and there's like a Miranda Priestly type, mm -hmm. you're just like, okay, she's so interesting. She seems <laughs> blatantly evil. I want to understand everything about how she got here. Um, so it's, I, yeah. So I think in general, it's like com a compelling villain, especially a compelling female villain. I'm like, don't like, I don't buy that this person is just bad for the sake of being bad. I want to understand how they justify their actions. That's so spooky because seconds before you said that, I was like, oh my God, the Miranda Priestley novel is exactly what I want to read. Yes, exactly. It really is. It's like, get, make us understand and, and root for her and believe that, she's doing the best she can or doing what she believes is right. Have you ever read, there's a book that um, comes up a lot on the podcast and it's a bit of a cult classic. It's an Unsticky by a British author called Sarah Manning. Who, and Sarah's a prolific writer and she's written loads and she's written um, YA and adult books, but Unsticky sort of has that feel and I think does the most amazing, it's really funny and really, really sexy. Um, but it's also kind of about class. Our heroine is Grace and she's quite brittle. She's a really talented junior fashion editor trying to make the job work on no money. And she's sort of surrounded by posh girls who have sort of have got every, they're able to work for no money because they are being funded. And it's about kind of sexual politics and Grace basically gets a rich boyfriend as an arrangement that goes into murky territory. But she's got an her evil boss Kiki hints that she isn't the posh girl she's pretending to wow. be and she maybe came up in sort of the same way as great that sort of everything explodes but that sounds incredible I think about how much villains have to lose and how they need to try to make it work yeah I also am writing this down while well, I'm typing it so if that shows up in the recording sorry everyone okay unsticky by Sarah Manning right? Yes, Sarah with no H to us. Okay, perfect. I am very excited to read that. I'm part of like WhatsApp groups where we just fangirl over Unsticky and reread yeah. it every so often and talk about how brilliant it is. Oh my gosh, I'm really excited to read that. Have you been in like book clubs and things? Do you have sort of reading groups or reading communities? I haven't been in an official book club and someday I think I would like to, but I also am such a mood reader that it's really hard for me to imagine just being like, committed to reading whatever people have read but I definitely you know am the person who is always foisting my books on other people and so and I have a couple of friends like that so it's like there there you know there are a few people who I go to when I have read something that I really love and I know like who to take it to to make them read it I have you know one one of my best friends is a huge romance reader and so she and I are always batting romance suggestions back and forth and then one of them is like a big like thriller and kind of horror reader and so we do the same thing and then my husband is also like a horror and thriller reader so it's I, I think it's like one of the I don't know it's such a great joy to recommend the right book to the right person and then be proven right for some reason it just is like it feels so good when you give someone a book to read because you know they're gonna love it and then they love it I can't even really understand exactly that rush of emotion that it, it gives me of just like just feeling so yeah just so happy that you that you gave them the right book that you gave them like a few days of joy I often think of um Carson McCullers the heart is lonely hunter and I think is that the one where she says that everyone has it feels like everyone has a we except me and I think that recommending a book to someone and yeah. having them love it it's like I think to read sometimes you do feel 
lonely and it's such a pure moment of connection and maybe connection that sometimes eludes us in the rest of our lives that's really beautiful and I think very 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 accurate I think that is what it is because it's like you know you've enjoyed this thing and you want to share it and also you know I don't know if you're guilty of this but I'm definitely the person who even though I don't really rate books on Goodreads anymore when I really love something I go straight to Goodreads after to see what people thought and of course like the books that you love the most are almost always going to be like kind of divisive where like a lot of people absolutely hate everything about them that you love and so I think there's also a joy when you see that and you're like well that's wrong that's not how I feel and then you you know think of you go through the mental rolodex of which of your friends is going to love this book like you do you send it to them and then afterward you get to talk about it and you're like yes right exactly that's why it's amazing that's why it's good that's why you know those strangers on goodreads are wrong um and it's just like yeah it's just like a fun thing to I don't know, to, yeah, to share your love of something. I love that. Well, um, I'd love to hear about anything recently that you have either recommended to people, anything that yeah. people have recommended to you and you've had that, that yeah. joy. Well, there's a couple come to mind. There's one that I keep recommending everyone and like the people that I'm, I've recommended it to have not yet read. And it's just, I'm like, have you read it yet? Have you read it yet? And that's the change. I don't know if you saw that. It was like, um, I think it came out last year and it's like these women who are entering, um, menopause and they all start having kind of these strange like powers. And I don't know, it's, it's like kind of a thriller, kind of a mystery and then kind of supernatural. And it's so angry and tender and beautiful and, you know, just really, really emotional and really special. But of course, it's going to be something kind of polarizing because it's splitting a few different genres. But to me, that's always what's really exciting is like something that you're like, this could fall apart so easily. I love that as a reader when I feel like someone's taking a real chance to go for something that hasn't been done before. So I have been trying to get everyone to read that one. Um, A fun, just like straight thriller that I have um, been pushing on people has been The Family Game. I believe it's by Catherine Stedman, but I could be transposing, like, you know, <laughs> transposing a couple of different books. Um, and another thriller that I have been pushing on people is, uh, I think it's called What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall. That's a pretty new release um, about a group of girls who, as children, survive a serial killer attack. And then years later, their attacker dies in jail. And one of the, the, the narrator, the one of the women who survived the attack, gets this letter from his son that's like, why did you lie about seeing my dad in the woods? Like, I know for a fact he wasn't in the woods with you. So she's sort of like, did we send the wrong man to jail? And, you know, trying to get to the bottom of what actually happened. And it's so compelling, so well written. Um, and yeah, just has a, in, an incredible cast. That premise just gave me goosebumps. I know. Oh my God. I know. I have goosebumps and I've read the whole book. So <laughs> that says it all, I think. I, th- I mean, that reminds me a little bit in a different, very different way. Um, I really, really loved uh, My Dark Vanessa. And I just, I love that idea of her as the ultimate unreliable narrator and recognizing and sort of reconciling this what she remembers as being her first love with something right. so dark and bleak. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's somebody taking a, a real chance. Like, anytime, mm. you write a, anytime you write a character who exists in those shades of grey or a story that exists in those shades of grey, I mean, I feel like that mostly happens in more literary fiction. It's like we're all agreeing that this is how this works. But I'm always, like, amazed and impressed by authors who can really lean into that and and give us those narrators without worrying too much about, yeah, are they likable enough? Are they reliable enough? Like, do they have the right opinions on this thing instead of just giving them this lived-in experience that's really, really murky? It's so hard to do, and yet I appreciate it so much when it happens. And sometimes I do think, certainly here, I hope I'm not going to get into trouble with saying this, like, I think that readers are up for and able to appreciate things that are so much more complex sometimes than they're given that sort of, I love, love a happy ever after. 
you know, I want, you know, joy and fun and to be uplifted, but also I love it when it's lifelike. And in the same way, I love it when there's a book that is com- tackling something quite complex, but there are those, like, even, that's why I was so surprised by A Little Life, because I thought it was just going to be like relentlessly dark. But there are these gorgeous moments of levity and like bits where it's just Jude and Willem sort of pottering around their apartment. And again, it's that Lucy and Mr. Tumnus on their yes. own feeling. And it's really nice to make want that and crave that and love that and maybe want a little more of that than you're getting but to have that know that feeling is there and you're always chasing it yeah I mean I think that's what makes a book again feel feel really believable and real it's like if it was just relentlessly oppressive that would be that would be a lie it's like even you know like life is always a mix of those really dark bleak moments and the really beautiful like mundane ones like I love it when there is a dark book but the writer isn't afraid to have their characters make jokes because yes. that is what humans do when things get dark and difficult. Definitely. Like, I feel like, again, with book lovers, it was like that was the one where I felt like I had finally written the character who I knew. I, like, my, my, I always try to have my characters laughing off everything and my editor is really good about no, telling me when I need to pull back and let them have like a real conversation so that the book can move forward. But with book lovers, it was really great because I was specifically writing a heroine who like, it's like, no matter, she's not going to be offended. Like, no matter how dark things get, you're allowed to make a joke. She's allowed to make a joke. The hero, you know, is kind of living in that same reality. And it was interesting because my editor didn't really flag any of those moments. It was like, yeah, we understand that these are two people who deal with the darkness specifically by finding what's kind of funny about it. And I, I, I wonder how much of that is like a writer thing because... I definitely have been around people where it's clear that's not how they how they deal with it. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for engaging in this way. But for me, that is absolutely it's like even while something terrible is happening, there is a part of my brain that feels like it's like floating up above the situation, knowing what's a little bit like ironic or funny about about it. That reminds me that I wanted to ask you about your biggest book crushes. Yeah, the first one, I feel like it's common while also being old enough to be like, obviously, this is very toxic. But I remember the first time I read Wuthering Heights, like something about Heathcliff really got to me. And I still feel that way. Like when I watch the adaptation of it, I'm just like, I love this tortured, horrible, miserable man. Yeah, it's like, I mean, that I wouldn't call Wuthering Heights a romance by any means. It's really like this toxic, doomed love story. But But still, it's like there's something about that character, I think just the complexity that like is really intriguing, especially when you're like a young, (laughs) young woman or teen. But do you think that's because she is so isolated and trying to be so brave and sort of struggling so hard to make it work and in his way, he sees her and when you're a lonely, broken teen, you're like... Who's going to see me, guys, like that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I think that's, I mean, again, like, I think this is like a common book crush to have while, especially at that age. And then when you're older, you're like, I guess that would be terrible. But, you know, it's like the whatever souls are made of his and mine are the same. Like, you're just like, that is the the thing that you crave when you're just stuck in your little human case and you can't actually get to anyone on the level that you want to the idea that you could know someone on that level to that extent is very intoxicating and irresistible so that's definitely one I'm trying to think who else I mean I read a lot of romance now and again like I think one of the reasons that I love Vari's books so much is that her two things I, I think her heroes are always incredible. The male lead is always like so interesting and intriguing and funny and cool. Um, always love them. But also I specifically like that the villains of her books are usually like nice guys. <laughs> I, mm. I haven't really seen anyone else do that in the same way so believably. Where it's, it's not like they're pretending to be nice guys and they're actually monsters. It's like they're they're trying to be nice guys. They're acting like nice guys and they don't even realize the ways that they are being hurtful and selfish and, you know, what have you. My favourite one, and I think the one I've reread the most of hers, but where it's the woman who, she's been horribly bullied at school and she's a very successful put-together adult and she has a run-in with her old, or the, the boy she loved mm-hmm. who inadvertently, sort of 
didn't inadvertently humiliate her. Yeah. I think that's so subtle and so thoughtful and nuanced kind of emotionally. But his horrible, horrible best friend who is kind of a good guy and kind of a nice guy and not a villain villain but just enough to really set your teeth on edge exactly because it's like you we all know those guys who think of themselves as the good guys and you know at hashtag allies and you're just like you're the worst like you're the worst and you don't know it and I can't like you're not blatantly the worst so I can't like call you out on it it's just all these subtle little you know traces of misogyny <gasps> a book that I don't know if you've read it but this is so good on that theme so brilliant I think it might have a different title in the US um Girlfriends by Holly Bourne and what's quite spooky is I think I know Holly um I sort of got to know her as a writer but I think we're like almost exactly the same age and we went to exactly the same Reading festival where the sort of climax of the book erupts and it's again the two best friends finding each other as adults having fallen out as teenagers and it's lots of back and forth and lots of great backstory about how it's told from the perspective of the woman whose her best friend Jessica was beautiful and sexy and popular and all the boys wanted her but the heroine sort of version of events Jessica was like the boyfriend stealer and you know she knew she was hot and sexy and perfect and Jessica had this miserable miserable time and was popular enough to survive but at what cost and it's also seeing all of these men she knew as boys and knew to behave abominably on Facebook with their wives wearing like feminist t-shirts and the hypocrisy and the it's brilliantly angry and funny and great yeah I need I need to look that one up too I think in America it's called when we were friends all right, I'm writing this down. When we were friends, Holly Bourne. Now I've got my next two reads figured out. And I feel very like, God, I hope you like them. Oh, I'm as much sure as that I, I love will. Them. I'm sure that I will. What you're describing is is like my catnip. Like, and again, it's like that's the thing: the complications, the nuance that we're talking about. Like, uh, the fact that no person is just one thing, and when you have those kind of dueling narrators getting to see the different perspectives it's like that's like part of the joy of reading is you get to live these other lives and you also get to understand people in a way that you can't because you're again just like trapped in your little like human shaped case yeah that's the joy of reading it's like accessing other lives yes the most glorious emotional snooping and Mm -hmm. that really thrilling thing where you understand why people do what they do yeah Emily I have had a blast I could talk to you about books for about a year okay you're very busy and you've got lots of things to do but um before we get there any books that you haven't mentioned that you'd love to mention or anything that you're excited about reading anything coming up on your pile uh, that you want to shout out to one book that I have again been pushing on everyone um, romance readers and non-romance readers is Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan. It's really, really heartfelt and um, angsty, but with some funny bits and just really, really lovely writing. And it's about a, a divorced couple kind of like finding their way back to each other. It's just gorgeous. It's set in like the Atlanta restaurant scene. So it'll like make you very hungry. And the back of the book has recipes in it, which is always a delight. I know, I know. I haven't actually made them, but I'm like, I think about it every time I think about this book and I'm like, oh yeah, that's something I need to do. Um, So that is one I have been kind of like shoving at everyone. And I love, and I feel like that's a less told story. Yeah. People who are... Yeah, and that's, you know... Been through. They've had their love story and they're on to the next stage of it. I know, and great. it's so hard, I think, to pull off because it's like you have to justify why these people split up in the first place and give that real weight and, you know, logic behind it and not make them so um, irredeemably terrible to, to each other. But, like, you know, justify them splitting up and then justify them getting back together when they had this very real reason to split up. And I think she did such a beautiful job. It's like a really mature love story that still kind of gives you those little, you know, butterflies in your tummy. So huge fan of that. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've got coming up that I'm reading. I'm about to read Lunar Love, Lauren Kung Jessen. And it's kind of a astrology-based rom-com with match with a matchmaker 
who's, you know, usually uses astrology to do matches for her clients. Um, It has a gorgeous cover, which I will admit is like (laughs) fully how I bought it. I didn't know anything about it, but I was like, that's beautiful. That's going home with me. So I'm going to be reading that next in honor of Valentine's Day. So I'm very excited for that. Yes, please. I am not so secretly an astrology fiend and like, I know it's nonsense, but... (laughs) But it's such fun nonsense. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, Susan Miller is a big fan of Pisces, so I always feel better after I've read her. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I think it's funny because like the ones, the, the signs that get the worst rap like I think about like Gemini's and I'm like I love Gemini's like there's something in me that I like am so drawn to them and then it's like every time you hear anybody talking about astrology they're basically just like shitting on Gemini's and I'm like no they're fun I do in um my novel careering um one of my characters Kim he's um he's a Scorpio but he has a fake sign that he gives to his dates in case any of them are freaked out about having to date a Scorpio Oh, that is awesome. And that's actually very smart. <laughs> but what's the sign that's safe to to tell your dates that nobody's going to get worried about? Mm, but no one is there. I mean, I, I feel like a, a tourist, you think, oh, you're quite yeah. solid, quite mellow. Yeah, um, that's all true. All my Capricorn friends feel really like, well, I don't like astrology, but that's because I'm a Capricorn and they're no fun. I'm like, you're a blast. Yeah. You're a delight. That's so true. I feel like when you read about Capricorns, I mean, like, I feel like, you know, you get that kind of organizational whatever. But thinking of the two Capricorns I'm closest to, they're both absolutely life of the party Capricorns who also are like very organized and get mm. things done. A sort of firing on all, all fronts. What are yeah. you? I'm a Leo and I am like tragically uh, a Leo to the T. <laughs> see, every I know everyone I know wants to be a Leo, but I think, you know, Leos are dazzling. Leos are like way out there. I'm, um, I'm the most Piscesy Pisces ever lazy and emotional <laughs> that's kind of a a fun mix though i think you know just like crying on the couch like someone you can cry on the couch with everyone needs that friend misery loves yeah. company yeah no yeah. I, I don't there, there isn't really a sign that i steer away from honestly i think it's yeah again it's just like a fun thing it's just a fun thing to like think about the traits that maybe you have in common with other people based only on like where planets were and what they were doing like that's that's a fun interesting thought experiment if nothing else is that something that's in your head when you write do you have a vague sense of no and the interesting thing is afterward like if you ask me I could usually like tell you I mean with to an extent I think you know the the one the characters who are clearest to me for you and me on vacation Poppy and Alex I think are a Gemini and a Virgo respectively where it's like Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like sheer chaos, sheer order. Mm. Um, But in general, no, I don't think about it. And then the other thing is I oftentimes give my characters birthdays. So even if I do think about it afterward, what they actually would be might not line up with the birthday that I have (laughs) arbitrarily given them. What about you? Do you use that in like planning at all with your characters? It's only because I get quite panicky, I suppose, about writing those books where it's like, oh, they went out for lunch on a Thursday and suddenly it's like the morning of the following Tuesday. So I have to, so in my new book, Limelight, uh, it's coming out in the UK in June. Um, Frankie, my heroine, she is a, uh, she's a cancer. She was born in July and she's, it's all about her very complicated relationship with attention Mm. where she wants it and she craves it and she hates it and she hides. She has a secret online light where she's in the spotlight, but kind of hides away in real life and that's exposed so I guess maybe that's a bit more Gemini than cancer but I wanted her to be quite kind of easily emotionally overwhelmed and yeah. struggling to chart a course through that I've not really consciously thought about this because it's sort of all about her and her sister and her mother and um, her mum is really intense and very manipulative and sort of like full of love but totally misguided and I think yeah. she might be a bit of a Scorpio yeah <laughs> Oh, sorry to all the Scorpios listening. We love mm. you. <laughs> we do love you. It's true. And you're and it's because we're powerless against a, yeah. a Scorpio. We'll do because yes. that's the thing. It's like Alison and the book lately. people will do whatever, whatever she tells them. I think that's a fantastic note to end <laughs> on intense astrology chat. Um Emily, it has been such a joy. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. 
Huge thanks to Emily. Happy Place is out very soon. If you need a serious dose of something sweet, smart and funny, I can't recommend it highly enough. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find all of the books that Emily mentioned at acast.com slash booked and you can see a selection at bookshop.org. You can find us and follow us on social media at YBooked. Thank you so, so much to everyone who has given us a five-star review. We really appreciate it. If you've been listening for a little while and you've not done it yet, it is a really great way to help people to find the podcast and their new favourite book. We'll be taking a short break, but we'll be back in your ears very soon. And we've got some seriously exciting guests coming up. For now, I leave you with this from MFK Fisher. A writing cook and a cooking writer must be bold at the desk as well as the stove. See you next time. Thank you.